Can you say that again? Yes, folks, it's Thursday. I'm Fred McMurray. It's 2 p.m., which means this has to be... All right, ladies, we're back again. And uh, man, just after a long week, had to rock out there to the Pillars song. <laughs> yeah. I think it'll become a classic, don't you? I think it'll be one for the classics. I think so. Make sure we get royalty on that, John. <laughs> True that. It gets stuck in your head, that's for sure. It yeah. does. It does. Well, happy Friday Eve. Thank goodness. Since Thanks. Monday, I've been hoping for Friday, and this is about as close as I can get until tomorrow. <laughs> so, so we've got a great show for you all. Welcome to Pillars of Franchising. Uh, my name is Kristen Shalmessi, one of your hosts today. And with me, joining me, is Miss Elizabeth Denham. Hello, Elizabeth. Hello, Kristen. How are you? I'm good. I'm super excited because we've got a, a very interesting um, word on the street today. And it caused me to take a field trip. I'm excited about your field trip. Actually, we yeah. have a couple of things to be excited about. Um, but the, uh, the thing we wanted to talk about, we had not touched on Black History Month. Uh, yet this month in February is Black History Month, so we would like to participate and take a little time to talk about the value of diversity and the value of making sure that that there are places for everyone across the board in all roles and all levels. Um, tell them about your field trip. Okay, so I'll give you a clue <clears throat> on which franchise is, and this is according to Franchise Business Review, quote, 193 times more likely to be Black-owned than the average franchise. And that franchise is my new favorite, Tropical Smoothie Cafe. Hmm. I was trying to make sure I had the label right. but And it says, uh, you're on Tropic time now. God, I wish that was true. Because later on, we're going to upload the video of my uh, adventure. And I can tell you it's dropped down in the 30s, like low 30s, high 20s. And it started snowing like whiteout conditions after I decided I was going to Tropical Smoothie Cafe. So you got all in the groove. You got in the tropical groove and then you got your, your parade was rained on. Yes, yes. It slapped me back into reality. But the good news was, you know, when I went in there, um, what a great experience. And I said, oh, my gosh, you how do you have this many people in here on a day that's so lousy outside and snowing? And she said, oh, we're always busy like this. Mm-hmm. And I thought, hey, that's pretty good, because I would have never, honestly, had it not been for this article. 
I would have never been interested on a snowy, cold, windy day to go have a smoothie. Yeah. But you know what? People are very committed to their smoothies, I have to say. Yeah. When you're on a kick, you're on a kick. You want your smoothie. Yeah. I was committed to the cause because I thought, you know what? This is really exciting. The number one franchise, you know, in terms of supporting Black-owned businesses, I was like, I got to go check this out. This is awesome. And the timing is perfect because we're talking about it today on the show. And so it was really, really quite interesting. Well, so and our, yeah, I was just going to say, Kristen chronicled her trip to smoothie, uh, tropical smoothie. And um, so because of that, I have launched our TikTok today. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I've been running and ready to go. I did a tiny intro video. And the very next thing we're going to post is Kristen on the road taking a trip to tropical smoothie. So everybody needs to check us out on the Pillars of Franchising TikTok now. Please do not send in, like, I saw you run the red light, or, hey, <laughs> you know, that guy flipped you off, because I wasn't paying attention to any of that, and I was not driving unsafely. My phone was actually mounted on the dash, so for all you people who are worried about that, it was not an issue today, yeah, so, but I did forget to turn off my phone. Isn't that annoying? Yes. <laughs> well, give right. for that, but back to yeah. the article that talks yes, about. Yes, let's get back. Yeah, so there's so much that's exciting to report um, in, in the studies over the last few years. Uh, the IFA has their um, diversity committee right. um, that started in 2006. It's called Diversity Fran now. Mm-hmm. But from 2007 to 2012, the number of black-owned businesses rose from 1.9 million to 2.6. So that's, that's getting close to a million, do- uh, million people increasing. Yeah. Um, the numbers in franchising are even better than independent business ownership. Um, According to USA Today, 30.8% of franchise businesses were owned by minorities, while non-franchise businesses have only 19%. That's amazing. I mean, that speaks really well for for the community that we roam in, um, that that we are open to diversity and we are open to um, supporting, you know, minority-owned businesses and, you know, and women and, and spreading the wealth. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll tell you again, we've, we've had franchise business review. Um, the gals were on the show not too long ago. Um, but this really is, they've got their top 200 list that is all franchisee feedback. They've got some really great information in their magazine. It is digital, so you can certainly download that at any point in time. Um, but next to Tropical Smoothie Cafe, um, number two in line came Nothing Bun Cake. Um, and that particular franchise was 115 times more likely to be Black-owned than the average franchise. And I thought, oh, my gosh. Now, I couldn't do that on the same trip because I'm still chugging on this, like, 22-ounce smoothie. <laughs> but I've been dying to try this Nothing Bunt cake. Um, I had one once at a party, and I thought, oh, gosh, now i got to get in there. And I can't wait to actually meet some of these owners, the franchisees, and talk about their experience. So. Yeah, and the, and the next one on the list is Visiting Angels is on there, and um, I have interviewed Constance Hill Johnson, um, yeah. and she's a franchisee in that system who's a black woman who's very active in our community. She's very philanthropic, um, just a dynamo, so it's fun to see her company on that list. Yeah, and that's fun because that's not medical. That's non-medical, private duty care, home care, yeah. which is really nice. And then we had right at home, right? And that was 42 times more likely. Um, and that was founded in 1995. 
by a former former hospital administrator. That was Hager. Did now did we not talk about him today at some point? I thought. Um, but they currently have um, uh, franchises in eight countries with over 600 locations opening. That's one of the largest home care franchises in the world. So um, great job making sure that it's an inclusive environment for people to invest. Mm-hmm. And then I have to mention Kona Ice next on the list, which is, you know, if, if you go to high school football games, they always have a Yes. <laughs> it yes. leaves you in the, in the heat of the early football season down here. Yeah, and I met some really nice Kona Ice owners from uh, Schaumburg, Illinois, and uh, we still are working on getting them on the show. Nice couple who were out, and they worked the high school um, homecoming. Mm. So that was a lot of fun having them. And what? who knew that all these years later, now at 50, how much I could enjoy a Kona Ice? I mean, like, there's just something special about it and nostalgic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we have uh, Next Home was on the list. And Next Home has, uh, so it focuses on empowering every broker with streamlined, progressive products and world-class marketing. Now, this is not a, um, a franchise I'm familiar with, but it sounds actually very interesting. So the consumer is the focal point for evaluating and implementing new ideas, allowing you to remain relevant and capitalize on strategic, smart strategic growth. Interesting thing with this, and a lot of um, people don't realize, when you buy a franchise, your franchisor will help you to a certain degree with marketing, but then much of the time, you have to go out and do some local stuff on your own, and so a lot of times, companies like that come in real handy to have to help you do some kind of analysis and determine you know, what, the, what the folks in your territory are like and how much money they have to spend and what their interests are so that you can do very targeted um, marketing campaigns. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a great list, and, I, and we didn't want to let the month go by without touching on um, some of the exceptional work going on yep. um, to, to help promote the black community and um, make sure that we, we played a part in that um, honoring of the month. So I'm very excited for the list, um, and it's, it's fun when you see people that you know doing well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I'm sure that moving forward, I mean, we've got everybody on here from 360 Clean, Office Pride, I mean, Wingstop. Now, that was pretty cool. I love Wingstop. Mm-hmm. And then, who else? Oh, Mathnasium, which is also a really nice model. That's one I'm going to talk to the lady about this week. She's looking to uh, go into franchising herself. So, very cool. Excellent. And it's very exciting. You know, you, you and I, Elizabeth, were talking about, you know, it from a franchisor perspective, um, how important it is to make sure that your franchise team at the franchise or level reflects really what your avatar is in terms of your client base. Mm-hmm. And that in turn, you know, so their client base is really the franchisee and then the franchisee's client base is the public, right? And so I think it's really important that, you know, everybody's working on inclusion and inclusion means at every level. It yeah. doesn't just mean the people that are out there in the field and in the community. So, um, you know, hats off to these these franchises that we mentioned, because obviously they're doing something right. And I'm sure there are many more out there doing really good things too, but these just happen to make the list for franchise businesses. They did. And you know, one nice thing that um, I was in a racial diversity group one time in Alabama, which is a very interesting place to do something like that. Um, but they, the, the thing that the black women emphasized was that if your dinner table is only like you, you need to diversify your dinner table. So 
in franchising, we can diversify our table at large and just make sure that there's representation across the board, like you said, from leadership all the way down to, you know, administrative assistants, field workers, whatever it is. Um, so I think that's a great rule of thumb, you know, just to make sure that you're intentional about diversifying whatever size your table is. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. So it looks like we are trying to get our guest in, but we're having some technical problems. There he is, though, Larry. And uh, he is with uh, R&R Tires. And as we wait to get some of our technical issues taken care of, let's talk, uh, maybe we can bring Jerry in, if that's possible. And we could talk to Jerry, get him going on reviewing some of his books. Let's see if that's possible here. Yeah, I told you I've been back in for Friday since Sunday. <laughs> and I did write a check today to the landlord of, of all people, and it ended in a 666. So not that I'm into all that crazy stuff, <laughs> but it does not surprise me that we've it's got It's in your mind when you write those numbers all together, isn't it? You, you know, my dad warned me about that once. He said I wrote a very important check once that ended in those numbers. There we got Larry got coming on board. That's awesome. Good. So we don't have to switch up. You all just had to be a little bit patient. Larry, I see that you're here, but you got it on mute. Let's see here. He's got a big smile on his face, so I can tell he's excited. Let's see. And he's from, there he is. The unmute button. How about that? <laughs> you know, the, half the trouble is finding the darn button. Uh, yep. That's right. That is right. Well, welcome uh, to the show. Welcome to Pillars of Franchising. We're happy to have you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm sorry for the late arrival. We're uh, getting ready for our national franchise meeting, and time just kind of slipped away in a meeting. I got here and went, oh, my gosh, I got to make this call. Well, that's okay. You got here just in the nick of time. Ray, would you like to do the honors and then introduce our guest? And, uh, we're at Pillars of Franchising. We're prepared for anything. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Isn't it the truth? Isn't it the truth? So, Larry, I'd like to introduce Larry. Uh, Larry is, is the uh, founder and CEO of RNR Tire Express. And Larry learned how to sell TVs and appliances on commission when he was in high school. And that's, you know, looking at you, it's probably a little while back. <laughs> A little bit, a little bit. Now, only Ray bit. could say that. Only Ray could say that because he's probably right about in there with you. That's right. That's right. Nobody else gets away with that kind of thing. Uh, Larry said in his senior year, he sold every teacher that he had a TV or an appliance. And in 1981, he became a business partner in Champion TV and Appliance Rentals and helped it grow into one of the most admired rent-to-own businesses in the Southeast. Larry traveled around the country giving seminars in the rent-to-owned business as a way to give back to the industry and help other dealers successful. I must, he says he must have sounded like a preacher spreading the, the gospel because he became known as the reverend in rent-to-own. So the question is, rent-to-own. I think you know, yeah. some of us may need to know what that is. Well, that's a good question. Uh, Basically, uh, what we recognized, uh, or what people long before me recognized, was that there was a good percentage of the public that uh, were stuck into having to buy used stuff as opposed to being able to get new things, like a right. work dryer, refrigerator, any, any of those kind of things. And so they developed, uh, uh, and, and most of them, if they're in a certain position, 
they didn't qualify for the way credit was scoring everybody. So sure. uh, that being said, they have they had limited budget. So rent to own was developed to serve as an unserved community. But that really would like to have all the same nice things everybody else can have. They just didn't have a way to get it. So rent to own became a very popular way. So what they figured out is that you could just keep the title and give them the use of the product. And then eventually, once you were whole, you would pay that off and then they would own the product. And it, uh, it really became a, a very, very successful uh, business model. Uh, that I have, I have yeah. to imagine it's still quite a strong business model today. Even stronger. Even yeah. stronger. Uh, and, and keep in mind, that's not the only people we serve. We have uh, people with plenty of money that come to our stores all the time and they might want to just pay cash. But even for them, once they see the advantage of the program, they'll go ahead and choose that program as well. So it's a, uh, we've, we've put so much value in it that mm -hmm. it's the only way to get that true value is to be on the program instead of paying cash. So it's really become a, a popular thing across the scale of different industries. Now that my original was TVs and appliances. But obviously, after I sold that business, I found out I didn't really want to be retired at 48 years old. <laughs> uh, and, and, I, and I only found that out because I played golf every day for about 200 days and, <laughs> and, and got sick of golf and said, I got to find a job. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, uh, but I couldn't do that again because I was under a no-compete. Uh, no. An industry that might be able to use the service and we started looking at tires. And wow. I was driving around Tampa, Florida, and I looked at like all these used tire stores, and they're everywhere. And I saw they were always busy. And I thought, my goodness, there's that many people buying used tires. Yeah. There's got to be a reason for it. So originally it started with that concept of, man, we need to give those folks an opportunity to buy it this way. So that's what we started. Uh, originally we were called Rent and Roll. Yeah. yeah. Rent and Roll. And uh, later, we just evolved into R&R uh, &R Tire Express. Mm -hmm. now, now, do you do only used tires, or do you sell new oh, tires? Oh, goodness. No, no. Okay. Everything, everything we do is brand new. Okay, because when you said used tires, I was thinking there's no way you would want to resell the tires I've driven no. on because yeah, they're involved. Let me tell you the truth. Nobody should resell tires. <laughs> yeah. But I noticed a lot of people were having stuck it to have to get those. So uh -huh. you're driving your family around in, in a tire that's really not even safe to be on the road because you yeah. can't go get new new product. And if you look at today's economy, there's over a there's over a third of the people in the United States that don't have a thousand dollars in their bank account. Mm -hmm. and they had to have tires. They would have, and, and some of them, all of them don't have credit. You know, there's a right. whole lot of folks that aren't granted the privilege of normal credit, and so. Our program opens that door uh, for them, and they can come in and get the same set of tires that, that you and I can get on a on a credit card or some other way of getting them. Uh, and so that's really kind of what brought us to the to, to here where we are today. So there's no credit check. No. Yeah. Well, I could have used that when I was in college. I tell you. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Uh, me I too. I, I'm, I'm part of that. Yeah. yeah, I think I actually did a living furniture mm -hmm. through one of those programs out in San Diego. I think it was actually called like Jerome's Furniture or something years right. ago. 
Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, thank goodness they had this program because we were young. We were in our 20s. We didn't have Absolutely. credit. Yeah, you didn't, you, don't, you didn't have credit. You didn't have a lot of cash. Yeah. Everybody's got to start somewhere. So I think that's great. So tell me how you how you got into the whole franchising scene now with this. Oh, wow. That's a, that's kind of a funny story. I was kind of drug into it by, by force. <laughs> oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah, one of my old associates from the other traditional rental business uh, called me up and said, hey, man, I hear what you're doing. I love it. I want to come see it. And at that time, we had two stores open already. And so he comes to town a few days here. And then we sat down in my office. And he, and he said, man, I, I can't believe it. I love it. This, I want to do this. I said, no problem, Mike. I'll give you, I'll give you everything we found out because we did a lot of research. I said, I'll give you whatever you need you got. Don't worry about it. We've known each other for a long time. And he said, he said no. He said, we can't do that. He said, uh, you're gonna ha- we got to have a deal, like some kind of agreement because I need to pay you for this. And I went, Mike, you really don't need to pay me. I'm glad to give it to you. <laughs> and, and he said, Larry, I want to do exactly what you're doing. I want to call it this. I want to use your style. I want to do everything. So we got on the phone with um, a mutual attorney that we both knew. And he, his name was Ed Wynn. And he said, Larry, I, can, I, I know Mike. So he, he said, but really, you need to be a franchise. I said, I don't want to be a franchise. I don't want to do that. Said, I'm scary, right? <laughs> yeah. I said, well, I don't want to tell entrepreneurs how to run their business. I, because I'm an entrepreneur, and I don't want anybody telling me how to run my business. Sure. I uh, understand how you feel, and you're probably not going to be a good franchiser, but you need to be a franchiser. <laughs> <laughs> that, well, that's how we started. That's a of confidence right there. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Today we have 37 franchisees with 162 stores. So <laughs> That's awesome. I'm, I'm kind of glad he made me do it. <laughs> And so do they all have the same kind of um, commitment to the customer that you do? Uh, some of them didn't. And uh, we had to back, we had to back up. We got to 78 stores uh, and we had probably 28 stores that were owned by three or four different people that just weren't drinking the Kool-Aid. They, they were like, ah. they're going to do what they want to do and so forth and so on. So we backed up. We, we actually shut down stores and backed up to around 50. And mm-hmm. I, through, I had to go through a period of time where I'm like, what are we going to do? And, and basically what I found out from other franchise folks is that you're doing it wrong. You're selling franchises instead of awarding franchises. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah. I, had ne- I had never told anybody no. You know, uh-huh. got whole state of Texas. Okay. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Sounds so good. We, so <laughs> then we, yeah, so we changed our methodology and I brought in franchise professionals. And we changed the whole thing. You got to be awarded the franchise, Dave, because just because you have the money doesn't mean you're going to be a good fit. I'm so glad to hear you say that. And I think yeah. more and more brands are are finally coming around to that because right. it's the integrity of the brand that you Absolutely. worked so hard to build. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, yeah, I just didn't know. And so we just, we, you know, anybody wanted one, got one. And now we've, I couldn't, you wouldn't believe how many people we've not, we've not brought into the family uh, and most of the time it's culture driven don't if we don't feel like they're going to fit the culture that we're developing throughout the country we don't let them in yeah. that's right they're not how much money they have if, yeah. if their employees and their customers don't come first they're not going to be an r&r franchisee 
So how well, do you go about vetting a potential uh, franchises? Well, we we uh, we we have to. We have some questionnaires and and we have an assessment uh, program that uh, will confirm what our suspicions are or not confirm. But basically, by asking questions, spending time with them, uh, and and asking the right questions to get the answers, we need to be able to make the job. We have to like them, uh, and they have to like us. And mm-hmm. uh, you know that's hard for me because I usually like everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but, Is that why but you I, brought your is that why you brought your son in so he could be the bad guy? You nailed it. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's awesome, and I'm sure that part of your process in the um, in the in, in the vetting of a franchisee is having them down for discovery day, right? Absolutely. That's the key 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 starting point. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We, we want to know them. We want to know you know, what they believe in and what they do and those kind of things. And then, you know, the business is part of that too. Do, are they going to be, uh, are they going to need an operator or are they going to be involved? Right. Uh, when you get the, the big developers, they're going to need an operator. Right. Uh, and and uh, as a matter of fact, our, our, our franchisee that's committed to the most stores who just started with us about a year ago, he's, his deal was, if you find me an operator, I'm in. And we just were happy. We were lucky enough to know a person we thought would fit this situation, and we got him. We got him an operator, and these guys opened seven stores in 18 months. Wow, nice. That's so, quick. So you kind of have answered my que- my next question, which you're looking for single unit owners and multi unit owners, providing they fit the right culture. Provided, and- yes. Okay. Yeah. We've got a husband and wife team. Uh, they just opened very successfully in uh, in uh, Queensbury, uh, uh-huh. uh, and uh, as a matter of fact, we're getting ready to have our awards banquet, and and his and the wife is getting the Rookie of the Year award because uh, she, she actually runs the store. And, nice. And nice. and it's it's been amazing. So we love that kind of situation. Uh, but often in that situation, you run into money issues, and they just not they don't have enough money. Yeah. Uh, to make the the trip, and if they're not secured with money, we just we're not going to put somebody in a position where they're going to lose what they put in. Yes, so, sure. Uh, well, so that's that's usually what we find with the Fingles is that they they might not have enough money to to get this to get to the the, the profit side. So speaking of money, how much does it take to get one of your franchises to get involved in one of your franchises? Uh, well, the the franchise fee is obviously the smallest thing you'll buy. I <laughs> mean, it's five thousand dollars so you know, oh, okay yeah that is small yeah most people most people will have that yeah. uh, but then when you start your business you got to buy inventory you got to do your remodel there's all kinds of things one of the things about our model is that it's not a quick cash flow a restaurant will probably spend all their money up front and then make start making money from day one mm-hmm. uh, we're putting these out on a payment basis you're going to buy three to four hundred thousand dollars worth of product just to get to the point you need to where you're making profit your money's coming in slower so if the number today is anywhere between 500 and a million dollars depending on how much your build out's going to cost right right. because that that today can be remodel can be as much as a half a million dollars that's right that that number is really driven by what that by what what that is 
And we're talking a lot today about um, finding the right site. So do you have a real estate team? Um, I do. Okay. Have a, we have an internal real estate. Yep. And they've got a, uh, uh, they convinced me to spend a ton of money on a, a software program to help them in their plight. And uh, now that I see the, see the results of that, I'm glad I spent the money. <laughs> awesome. Well, sometimes it's not spending the money. It's making the investment, right? Absolutely. That's exactly right. So, Larry, where does somebody call to get a hold of you if they're interested in opening R&R Tires? Uh, well, we are, uh, our, our, our franchise site is myrnrfranchise.com. Okay. On that, on that site, uh, you get the whole story. It, it breaks down the cost that it's going to take. It tells you uh, a lot about the business model and, and, and how it developed and everything. And that's the starting point uh, for anybody that's interested. Or they can Google it. <laughs> sure, right. And they'll see uh, franchise information, that kind of thing. Very good. And we're definitely going to have all of your contact information, social media links that you've provided to us on our website. So people Absolutely. can go right to pillarsoffranchising.com and find you as well, Mr. Larry Sutton with R&R Tires. We'd like to thank you for joining us today. And I can't wait to follow up with you when you've got your next out of 100 stores opening. Uh, we're, we're excited about it. I, I appreciate the opportunity to be on the show and uh, hope everybody here has a great day. You Thanks. as well. I can't wait to find you some new franchisees. Go ahead, Ray. Just, I'm sorry. Just, just remember, everybody needs a little R&R. &R. Yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's, very That's good. our jingle. That's our jingle. I right. love it. Thank right, you guys. so much, Larry. Have a Thank great you. day. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Hey, franchise owners, how does your local marketing? Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westbine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, and ad placement, and customer data intelligence will get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westbine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westbine with a Y. Sherry, it's you. Good afternoon. How are you, Kristen? Well, I don't appear to be as warm as you based on what it looks like in your background. You know, it's pretty nice here. I might get rained on. We'll have to wait and see how that goes. But it's, uh, it's very warm here compared to Chicago where you're at. Yes, it appears so. So tell us, where are you today? Today I am in uh, South Carolina at Bluffton, just off of the uh, Hilton Head Island, and uh, visiting some friends that are fellow Great Clips franchisees out here. Uh, we just got back from a Great Clips event in uh, Naples, Florida, where it was even warmer than mm. it is here. It was gorgeous, got a little sun. I see that. Which, you know, all of us in the upper Midwest won't see the sun for a while, so uh, that was kind of nice. If you notice, my throat's a little scratchy, my voice is, because you go to those events, you spend a lot of time talking, right? Yeah, and yelling. And, well, 
Yeah, you think you get rid of your kids and you quit yelling, and then you start going to franchise events and you're yelling over the top of people all the time. Yeah. So are you checking out the sites down there, like looking around where you might open another business? Kristen, it is an illness. It's an addiction, you know? When you get into something like franchising and you really love it, no matter where you're at, you're looking at real estate thinking, oh, my gosh, there ought to be a – Something there and something there and something there. You couldn't be more right. I mean, and really, you know, my downfall and upswing at the same time has been hanging out with all of you guys because my downfall has been that I've caught this bug and I can't seem to shake it, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, I need one of those. Oh my gosh, this would be a great spot. And like ADHD has kicked in like a thousand fold, right? And, uh, but the upswing is is so much fun. I mean, franchising is great. And when you meet franchisees from around the country, no matter where you're traveling, you know somebody. So if you're driving down the road and you see a great spot, I reach out to him and say, oh, dude, you got to go look this spot over. That'd be a great spot for one of your businesses or whatever. Just makes it so much fun to be engaged with franchisees all over the country, kind of be looking out for them and helping them where you can and so on. So it's great. It's, so, it's certainly good to be back on a call with you, though, Kristen. Yeah, well, we've been missing you, and and today we're going to go through some more of that book that uh, that you've been busily writing over the last couple of years, and we're talking just about that, site selections, right? Oh, real estate. It's one of, literally, this is maybe one of my favorite parts of the whole franchising process. In fact, as a regional developer for the Joint Chiropractic, I might get a little too engaged. My favorite thing is to get a franchisee in the car and drive their market and get really excited about new spots. And uh, it's just in your blood once you get going. But uh, real estate's a lot of fun. Uh, For potential franchisees, though, who have never dealt with that, they've got um, maybe some different perceptions. Maybe their franchisor doesn't offer a whole lot of help. So we made that a whole chapter in the book. We're going to talk about it today. And then people can get a hold of me anytime. They want to talk about real estate. That's awesome. And one of the questions that we had just asked of uh, Larry was if his, as a franchisor, does he have a real estate department, which is in the, in the process of looking is a great question to ask your franchisor. Do you have a real estate department? Yeah, it is. And, you know, not all real estate departments are created equal either. So dig a little further into it. What does that mean? You know, do you actually have a regional real estate person that works with me that has relationships with brokers in my city or wherever I'm planning to to plant a franchise? Because simply having a real estate department doesn't necessarily mean the franchisee is going to see a lot of support out of it. And I'll tell you a horror story. Uh, I just heard this recently um, about a 50-year-old franchise system who's going through some, some uh, you know, some uh, cash Thanks. flow issues, mm-hmm. just got rid of their entire real estate department. So if you're bringing somebody new in, they've got nobody, but if you've got somebody experienced in there, they've been used to calling on those people and getting help, and now they've got nothing. So make yeah. sure your franchise door has one, that it's something that you as a franchisee will get access to and get enough support from and then you know if all else fails reach out to us because we've got a lot of information on real estate we can help you out with but you know maybe a maybe a little disclaimer is in order here um, because we talk so much at least i do in the book about retail uh, because 
you know, the vast majority of franchising deals with retail locations. Um, mm -hmm. I forget the number now, but it's got to be 70 to 80% of them are retail oriented. So we focus on that, but I need everybody listening to understand that if you're looking at a, a model that, you know, maybe at home, at home business, for, you know, obviously that's being done at home, but there's also businesses, perhaps yours, Kristen, doesn't need to have a retail uh, spot. That's so, right. Um, you can pay less in rent, but you have to look for bigger spaces, maybe spaces for vehicles to be parked, storage, warehouse space, all those kinds of things. So truly understand, you know, the franchise door and what they think you need for space before you get into it. But today we're going to talk about retail because that's where most of it is. I, there, I share some stories in the book. I won't waste a lot of time today with them, but many franchisees end up choosing the wrong piece of real estate for their business. So even if you, you know, follow great advice in finding your uh, right match for the franchise system that you buy, that's no guarantee it's going to be successful because if you plant that in the wrong spot, uh -huh. it will struggle. Now, when we talk real estate, typically most of your real estate people will talk in letters. So they'll talk about A, B, C, and D real estate with that's A right. being the best. And then many of them will put pluses and minuses with them. So like an A plus, A minus, B plus, whatever the case might yep. be. You got to understand the lingo when you're, when you're talking about it. But I have worked with so many franchisees who have spent a lot of money on a franchise system. And then in order to save money, choose a B or C site for a retail business that needs to be attached to an anchor, yeah. to be oh. in a busy retail spot. So in a few That's years, like they're suicide. generally not in business. Yeah, yeah. suicide right out of the gate. Yeah. Well, and I can also tell other stories simply from our background. You know, when we do an acquisition, if we end up with several locations, some of them, for whatever reason, end up being in B and C locations. So we quickly look at upgrading that location, moving a block down the road or across the street or whatever the case might be to get into the right spot that has the right retail movement and those kinds of things. And we have seen almost a doubling in customer counts and revenues. And mm -hmm. that would lead to a tripling or quadrupling in profit many times. Sure. So that's the very basic difference. So I want our listeners to understand, make sure you are very spot on with your real estate. And if your franchise system talks about a B plus somewhere in that range, Make sure you're doing that. Don't try and save a few bucks going to another location. Jerry, what about, especially when we're talking about anchor stores and you, and you mentioned that, you know, um, we're kind of in a volatile um, environment right now where businesses are opening and closing. Uh, is there anything to protect you if you happen to uh, get a space and maybe the anchor stores go out? Right. So two answers to that question. Number one is make sure you choose the right space and don't choose an anchor that may not make it. One of the things we look for is food-based retailers because people are gonna need food forever, right? Yeah. And although some of it's being ordered online, it still goes through a store at some point in time. So we look for the regional grocery stores or we look for Walmart and Target, which have turned into two of the large food retailers too. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're in a site uh, where you're having a lot of the businesses around you close, refer back to your lease. Make sure um, that you understand it, because in many cases, there's a dark clause in there, which, which infers, and, and you'll probably have Laura on a little bit, and she can talk a little yep. bit about this from a legal standpoint, but we make sure they're in all of the new leases we sign, and we keep track of it as 
the ebbs and flows of real estate change. But what that typically means, and the percentages could change, so I'm just going to throw out a, a general percentage in your situation, make sure you understand your lease. But in most of our leases, it basically says if 50% of the retail space goes dark, which means those retailers have closed, yep. then we can either get out of our lease or get or our rent goes down to 50% or some version of that, depending on the uh, landlord you're dealing with. Now, we may decide to stay there in that case at 50% rent, feeling right. like the spaces are going to get filled and they're going to come back and it's going to be a great place to be. Mm -hmm. And we get cheap rent during that time frame, which helps us with cash flow. If we feel that the, the center is kind of dying and maybe it's not going to turn around and we have the option to move out, generally that's a good time to cut bait and run, as we say in Iowa, and find a good spot down the road. <laughs> and move that location. So it's the next fishing so hole, isn't it? The next that's fishing right. hole. <laughs> but you know, the thing is, Kristen, this is a real big decision. I would say, other than the making the decision on which franchise system you go with, this may be your next biggest decision because yeah. rent is forever. Leases, when we got in, were typically five-year terms. Now they tend to be more ten-year terms. So, mm -hmm. and and if you pick the right spot, you might be there thirty years. So you, you want to make sure you're making the right decisions, time to, um, that it's going to work from a time standpoint, and that you have some options for renewals. So we do like 10-year terms with five-year uh, renewal options. So That's I know we got to get going. And before the gentleman behind the curtain comes out, I want to tell you, this is a <laughs> phenomenal time to get into franchising because there are rare opportunities which you will not see again in the future. So do not miss your opportunity. If you're thinking about it, knowing that you've got all this support on pillars of franchising. You don't have to know a whole lot. If you want to do it, make the decision, reach out to us, and we'll help you with it. Signing awesome. off for another week. And now, and now, now. for our, the non-franchisee asked Jerry a question. <laughs> As I was going through the papers, I, uh, I came upon a news article today that said the FTC is Suing Burger IM, which is a California-based um, burger chain with over 1,500 locations, or at least 1,500 franchisees, and they said that uh, the company recruited potential franchisees that, for the opportunity that purportedly required little to no business experience while downplaying the complexities of owning and operating a burger restaurant. And what they said was, in the future, make sure that you do your due diligence. So, oh, guru of Iowa, the sage of Iowa, let's how about that, sage of Iowa, what should these 1,500 people who got, were sucked into this, what did they miss? What, sh what should they have looked at to say, you know, that's bad, because 1,500 people is a lot well, of people. That's a good question. I'm going to bow to Laura, who is the attorney in the room, to answer some of those questions. And since I haven't followed the lawsuit, I'm not going to say a whole lot. But to your follow-up question, Fred, I will say this. When, you know, our moms used to tell us if it's too good to be true, it probably is. So 100%, when you're hearing any of those kinds of terms or phrases from a franchisor as you're going through the discovery process, uh, number one, talk to, when you're doing your validation, talk to existing franchisees to see what their take is on that, uh, that comment, that statement. Uh, be very cautious when you get into it. And I would say, if, frankly, just from my standpoint, 
If a franchisor made that statement to me, I would know it's too good to be true. I wouldn't walk away from it. I would run away from it. And I would find a competitor that has a much more stable version of it and, and make a decision to go with them. Great thing to bring up, Fred. Thank you. And number awesome. three? Thank you. Number three? I'm surprised you missed it. They should come talk to us at Pillars of Franchising. That was an easy one. Never mind. Oh, we said that before. Yeah, but not in the answer to this question. Come see us, everybody. That's All right, right. Moving on, Kristen. Take care. Have a great All day. All right. Thank you. You too, Jerry. Here we go. Thank you so much to Jerry for all of his great advice. And I can't wait to get Laura on and, and she can build on some of what he said from a legal perspective. Um, also, remember our sponsors, uh, Franchise, two, four, Franchise Show 247 um, has a great platform. Pillars is on it. Go check us out there. And the Titus Center for Franchising is also a sponsor. You can go visit them um, on the PBA website, Palm Beach Atlantic University. Um, so look for that. Um, and since we've launched our TikTok, please go on and like and share and help us get a little following. We launched our TikTok at the top of the show, and we already have a follower. <laughs> so that is big excitement in the Pillars world. Um, up next, we've got Laura Liss of Franlaw, um, who's going to help us understand some of the things that Jerry touched on and expound a little more. Awesome. Hey. How are you, Laura? I'm doing really well. I love it when uh, people like Fred and Jerry are talking about franchising and they bring up uh, very, very bad franchisors because even though they are outliers to be that bad, um, those are why we have franchise laws, right? That's when right. you have just complete disregard, or at least allegedly have complete disregard, <laughs> yeah. I should say. Um, that is where we start to say, well, this is why we got laws because people were concerned. I think it's really important too. I mean, overall franchising has done some great things for this, for this country and obviously for all of us and, and many others. And so it's, it is uh, it is kind of disappointing when you hear some things that haven't gone right, haven't gone well. So, and we always thought our, our listeners make sure that you get legal advice, make sure that you get a, um, a good CPA, a good banker, right? People who understand the, the nuances of franchising. So, um, so what have you got for us today? Because we were talking all kinds of cool stuff about leases and real estate, and sure. where do you want to start today? Talk a little bit. Um, I'll touch on some of the items that you and Jerry were talking about with leases, yeah, um, yeah. and then we can talk a little bit about some territory ideas, right? Or things to watch out for when a franchisee is hearing about territories and what to know there. Absolutely. Um, All right. Well, let's let's talk about. Uh, you know, I think a big one being these these dark out periods or when when big anchor go, stores go, go out. Yeah. yeah. Go dark clauses. Um, those are really powerful and they are really hard to get. <laughs> ah. If you are a new operator, right? When you have a bunch of locations and you're kind of a, a player, so we say like Jerry, right? Um, He's a player. I love that. Jerry's Jerry. a player acres. I'm going to write that down, Jerry. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can certainly more likely at least ask for those. Um, I think that pre-pandemic, it, you know, we let me, well, back up. When it was, I was seeing more of those, I would say, in 2013, 2014, when, you know, we were still kind of shaking off the recession, right? right. There were still anchors that were going out. 
Um, mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, after that, we kind of saw a lot of growth, right? You know, we saw a lot of growth in 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, you know, and then the pandemic has uh, made us a little questionable. I think that for a lot of anchors, certain types of a lot of anchors, um, things are strong, right? Like the food anchors, like grocery stores, Target, yep. Walmart, those are great. Um, I don't have a lot of concern, you know, that a Walmart is going to go out if that's who we're anchoring. Like, for example, I know because I have a number of clients that have had um, wing stops, like you were mentioning. Mm-hmm. Wing stops basically will not approve uh, locations, in, at least in suburban locations, unless yeah. they're with the Walmart. Right, right. You know, that are like Massage Envy. They love to have their stores be with Target. Okay. All right. Um, the, per- the perception of the higher end value shopper, right? Target. Yeah. Those are the ones that call it Target. <laughs> right. People who are looking for a little bit more luxury may be willing to spend uh, a little bit on, you know, quote unquote, self care and right. massage. Okay. Right. okay. So, you know, there are things um, that we see that are common, but those go dark closets. Um, you have to ask for them. You have to negotiate for them. Mm-hmm. I've never seen one in a lease where they just gave it to us, right? Okay. It's never been in there if you don't negotiate for it. What about mm-hmm. um, construction, things of that nature? I mean, and in, in even before, and we could even say in your due diligence, is it suggested that somebody go to the city planner or to your, you know, to the city of, you know, those departments that handle all the, um, I forget what the heck it's called, the development permitting and everything. Yeah, and, and ask them, listen, I'm looking at the space. Can you tell me what's up and coming on the agenda for the road, the parking lot, any of that stuff? Is that a good place to find? Yeah, I I don't have a lot of clients that do that. I think that that can be a good idea. Um, you know, another good resource is actually to talk to your local chamber of commerce. Um, ah, yeah. Chamber of commerce can be really tied in to, you know, what the local village or area is doing. Like, I know I sit on my local chamber of commerce, even though I, you know, I live in town and mm-hmm. it's only through them, you know, if someone casually mentioned, oh yeah, they're ripping up, you know, such and such street for the next six months. I was like, what? Like, why did I, I live here. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. But they know. So that may be a good resource versus kind of being, you know, and the, and the chambers want to work with, they want to bring in potential business. They want to sure. be that resource. Um, yep. so they're very receptive to those conversations, I think. Okay. So that can be a good resource, um, you know, but otherwise, I, I think a lot of it comes down to conversations with the landlord. Um, sure. You know, I know, Kristen, you and I had a conversation with a, um, an existing franchisee about a site, and, you know, she's very excited about the site, but one of the things she told us, you know, is a very inexpensive Bayfront um, situation, which is, ooh, attractive, you know, it won't be right. expensive. But the landlord has fully disclosed that they fully expect to redo all the front um, signage and what's known as yep. the fascia, yep. like all of the, you know, kind of out exterior walls, like, yeah. that, you know, the, the vertical. Huge height. money. Yeah. Huge money, but also huge construction makes it look unattractive, you know, for consumers going by. And, if, you know, she's, she would potentially be opening and then only have six months to be open before all this demo starts. Yeah. And Um, the big thing, right, we start talking about what that means for her rent when CAM taxes and things come due, right? Because somebody's going to pay for that, and it's not going to be the landlord. 
No. So that's another topic in leases that we like to negotiate is that we'd like to put a cap on what's known as um, controllable common area maintenance or CAM for mm-hmm. short. Uh, and pretty much all CAM except for um, utilities, taxes, insurance, and depending where you live, snow removal. <laughs> uh, yeah. Those are considered to be, uh, that all of that is considered, considered to be controllable. And it's really powerful to have those caps in place. Um, I know, Kristen Efford, you mentioned in a story where you you did not have a cap and nothing had ever been a problem until it was suddenly a very expensive problem. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised. I think we were here for about eight years and I never, ever received a CAM bill. And then one year it was like $76. And I was like, what is this, some accounting mistake? And I just tossed the bill aside and think anything of it. And then two or three years later, as the ownership changed, I got a very hefty bill with several more zeros behind it. And it was like, what is that? They said, well, review your lease. And I looked and I said, oh my God. So I really made out well for all those years. The original property owner just forgot to charge us for CAM taxes, although they didn't do anything with the site either, I have to be honest. It was a pretty right. ratty site. Right. And there are leases like that, um, you know, where maybe the prior landlord didn't have a strong lease form and so they couldn't really, or they didn't think they could, and, and then a new one comes in and poof. Um, you know, so you never know with these properties, they are a commercial asset. You know, you might know your landlord, you know, a small town landlord now, but when that person is ready to retire, ready to divest, you won't know the person who buys it. And sure. like Jerry was saying, you know, 10 years is a very common lease term now. Yeah. So there's a lot of room in there for, you know, a, a new person to come in who owns the, par- the property. I also had a question come in about the, um, percent rent, a shared profit component in addition to base rent. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So in most commercial leases, um, I guess there's a few models, okay? There is what's known as gross rent, okay? And gross means everything, right? Yeah, right. We see this a lot in office leasing. Um, We don't see it very much in retail settings or industrial properties, but we do see it in offices because the landlord knows you know, you just have your little 1,000 square foot office and they're going to charge you, you know, $1,500 a month for that. Okay. And you don't pay anything else, right? Maybe you have a true up at the end of the year if there was a couple hundred dollars difference on taxes or something, but you're not paying anything else. Um, a more common form of lease or lease pricing for retail spaces is what's known as uh, a triple net lease. And you say to yourself, what on earth does that mean? <laughs> okay. I learned Jerry's, I read Jerry's book. Right, if you read Jerry's book, uh, you would know, okay. And a triple net lease means that the the fee structure is set that there is a base amount, okay, which is just for what's in your four walls, okay. But because you are part of a larger whole, right, you are not just one little shop, you know, on your own, right. You're part of the community of the shopping center or the mall. Um, There are also... Uh, percentage charges for whatever, you know, if you're in a a 30,000 square foot shopping center and you have, you know, your 2,000 square feet, you know, you have your little percentage, right? Uh right. So you're paying your little percentage for uh, the the total of taxes that the landlord owes on the center. Uh You're paying your percentage for the total 
of the insurance that the landlord has to insure the whole property. And by the way, you still have to get your own insurance for what's yeah. going on with your four walls, but keep that in mind. Yeah. So those are two of the things that the base rent is net of. And then the third thing is what I was mentioning before, which is common area maintenance or CAM. Okay. Yep. CAM, you want to control those costs as much as you can. I mean, that's like, you know, fight six rounds with the landlord going <laughs> forth to get that it's worth it um but okay so to your other to your question because i did not forget uh you say what is it what is percentage rent okay and percentage rent in a pure percentage rent scenario is you do not pay a fixed amount each month right you don't have base rent you don't even necessarily have the triple net where you pay your percentage of those okay Mm -hmm. um you pay for example 7% 7% of your gross sales. And so the wow. landlord is taking more of a chance on you because they don't know. They might they might ride the wave or they might fall with you. Wow. Right? Um, and there's not a lot of landlords, especially nowadays, that are willing to do that. You know, they're all uh, pretty sensitive. And the other, another reason that we don't see it as much is because most of these properties, um, they have bank loans that have financed the purchase of the property for the landlord. And the landlord's own lenders won't allow them to take that risk. So we don't see a ton of percentage rent, um, at least not in, in a more traditional franchise context. We saw, I've, seen, I've seen a few leases with it, but um, not, not as much as other. The most common is going to be your, your triple net lease. Um, okay. But it, it is worth knowing, you know, that that's out there yep. because – you know, if you if you have a really high upside, maybe you could talk a landlord into it, but yeah. uh, it's probably unlikely. <laughs> well, Laura, thank you so much. You know, between you and Jerry, we, were, we learned a lot about real estate today, everything from how you class a real estate, A, B, or C, um, how you go about negotiating a rent, things to look for in the lease in terms of what that payment is going to look like. Um, and so, Laura, next week, I look forward, I know we're going to talk probably a little bit more about this type of stuff, and then uh, we've got lots of other legal stuff that needs to be talked about as it pertains to franchises. So Laura List with Fran Law, we'd like to thank you once again for being part of the show and part of our team. And we'll look forward to having you next week. Awesome. I'll be around. Thanks, guys. Okay, thanks. All right. More great information from Laura List. We always appreciate her insight and perspective. We are now up to a whopping three followers on TikTok. So just in case you're on the edge of your seat, things are looking up. Um, next week, we're going to have Katie, you're going to have wax pot. So be sure to tune in for her. Be sure to call in and ask questions. Uh, next, we have Karen Kimsey Ford. Hey, Karen. Hello. Hello. We get to, we get to top it all off talking, talking about people again, right? Yeah. Good. Sh- I have to like shift out of thinking about my, um, landlord and what little snow removal he does into hiring and people absolutely well we're kind of beginning and ending i was thinking about larry and larry was thinking about um you, you know franchisor yeah the importance of a franchisor making sure the franchisee you know they have the right fit uh, making sure that they're focused on the people side the right culture that's right and so as franchisees we need to make sure that we're focusing who are, we, who are we inviting to come along? Who are we hiring to come along on this journey with us? Because as we all know, and I know from experience, one hire, one toxic hire, not good, right? It's, it's amazing what that one toxic hire can do. Oh, culture, right? 
Yep. And I know some bad experience on that one. So. Yeah, and they take up a lot of your time having to manage that person too. Absolutely, and I, yeah, I think so many times what happens when we're when we're hiring, especially right now, right? We some of the pitfalls I think that we all come against are we're like, oh, I've got a great feeling. I spend five minutes with them, and we like them. So we're like, oh, great, they're going to be great. So that's one of the key things. And I think another one is is we'll take a look at that resume. Oh my gosh, they've got this experience. Exactly what I'm looking for on the experience side. And yeah can just see it. So we really rely too heavily on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then I think the third one is right now we're all dealing with being stressed. You know, we've got these stressful times. We need people. We need people now. Mm-hmm. And you start hearing all the news about, oh my gosh, all these people are leaving and going different places. So I think it causes this stress on us, which is true. Sure. We make bad hires because we think, okay, we just got to get, I hate this word, but like a warm body. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Where are you? Yeah. 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 Ray and I talk about that. Yeah. Give me a warm body. Right. And that warm body sometimes can cause you way more grief. Oh my goodness. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's so true because as you touched on a second ago, whether that, that warm body happens to be toxic, whether that warm body happens to give poor customer experiences. I mean, really at some point, at some point in time, I mean, even with your existing staff, I always call it addition by subtraction, right? At some point in time, you need to get rid of the problem and things actually get better. And you actually are more productive and your team step up by getting that one person to go away. They perform better. Absolutely. It's interesting. I had a, an example where a few years ago, I had someone who, you know, I kind of knew they were toxic mm-hmm. by kind of coaching them out. Literally, I am not exaggerating, within one day, it was weird how the whole, the culture, you could just feel it lifting by this one thing. So I think sometimes as as franchisees, as managers, leaders, we don't don't realize the impact because we're just in this day-to-day of our business. I think paying attention to that with Mm -hmm. existing, so then making sure when we do an ad to to our team that we're really being very mindful, you know, of how how they're going to fit in. Yeah important key. Yeah. And I think um, for for people out there, that's a really good point. And if you're a new franchisee and you're just starting out with new staff, you know, it's really important to spend a few minutes with them in the interview process, because to your point, they may look really good on paper, but face-to-face or over Zoom, they may be something completely different. Um, That's why people hire really good resume writers, because they look really good, right? And so... um, you know, that's really important. And, and when you're first starting out, you have, it's, it's a tall task, right? You know, I remember opening stores and you needed 145 people and you had to hire that in six weeks. Absolutely. It's tough. And so it's really a, a big challenge. And, and you want to make sure if it's your own business, that they share that passion that you have and right. maybe some things that you don't have, but you know, you need. Absolutely. And you know, what I find also with, with uh, franchisees is they're, they have a passion. So what they'll do is they'll, the, at the beginning of the interview, we need this and here are our values. And, and this is, so they, they share too much. They talk, talk, talk. And then they'll ask someone, so what are your values? Well, what do you think the person, <laughs> right? So, so I, always, I always consult with franchisees. I'm like, start first with, you know, what attracts you to the job? Yeah. What's important to you? You know, Absolutely. Important to you, and when I've asked that question, sometimes you know somebody will say, "What's really important to me is making sure I've got a lot of growth, and I've got this, and I've got that." You're thinking, "I'm a franchisee. I'm a small business. You know, you might be able to get some of that, 
Yeah. yeah. And some of that you might need in a larger company. So really getting the real deal from the person you're interviewing, I think it really helps kind of, kind of weed out some of that. Yep. Very good. I totally agree. And how are we doing reading your book? Anybody get the book you gave us last week was called, um, oh, you don't have my notes in front of me. What was your book? The, I, the Ideal Team Player. That's right. The, the Ideal Team, team player. player. The Ideal Team Player. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, we, I talked about last week as part of that Ideal Team Player, it's, it's the, um, trying, when you're trying to find the right person, it's the hungry, humble, and smart. And we talked a little bit about the smart piece, the people side of it. And, and one of the questions I get asked a lot, you know, because we know that's important. Well, how do you, how do you know how to, right? How do you, how do you know how to find out for that? Or how do you know how to interview for that? Yeah. And I think, again, that's a key piece to, to making sure you've got the right person on the team. And I think the best way to do that, and it really kind of goes along with, I think, the book as well, mm-hmm. is asking those behavioral questions. So it's not about focusing on the skill and your experience, but asking questions about things Things like, um, you know, give me a time where you had a conflict with someone. Can you, yeah. how, how did you solve this? Yep. Talk with me about a time where you really felt like you failed. And yeah. through that, when you're asking those kinds of questions, what happens is you can see how they handle it, how they're and the answering the question. It's amazing what comes out. You know, I've had, yeah. I'm like, okay, that really, you probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Good thing, right? Because you're like, okay, this is a red flag. So yep. it's interesting by asking those questions, you know, how you can really uncover how they're going to deal with certain situations. Because if you think about it, a lot of that is how they deal with it. They're going to do the same thing, you know, after you've hired them when they've had certain conflictual situations or how they get along with other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Karen Kimsley Ford from Dale Carnegie, thank you again so much for joining us this week. We appreciate all the time and effort work you put into doing your segment on the show. And we'll look forward to seeing you again next week as well. Sounds good. Thank you. Have a good week. Thanks, you too. And this has been Kristen Shelmesley. Well, no, thank, our, thank you all for joining us on the show today. And our guest, Larry Sutton with R&R Tires. Thank you to Laura Liss of Fran Law, our franchise attorney. Be sure to like, share, and comment on this episode. And as always, thank you to Karen Kimsey Ford, Ray Bikiller, David Kajanik, and Jerry Akers, excuse me, our Million Dollar Mentors for their insight and wisdom. I am Kristen Chalmers, the fifth Million Dollar Mentor, and together we are your resource for franchising success. This is Ben Salusa Franchising, and the dream starts here.